Yeah, I've got a lot of good bit of material here to try to summarize some of what the scriptures say about our growth in Christ. I think our statement, you know, the question's pretty simple. Do you promise that you will live as becomes a follower of Christ by the Holy Spirit? And yeah, do you hum- you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Um, but I'd like to at least, hopefully these next few pages, if we don't cover, which we won't cover every verse, but you'll get a hold of the uh, ideas that are critical, I think, in, in understanding our, our growth in Christ. Um, <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you take hold of our lives and you forgive us of our sins, make us stand in your favor, and you transform us. Uh, Surely, slowly, progressively, and we take on more and more of the character of Jesus Christ in your mighty hands. We thank you for this wonderful process, Lord this growing freedom from sin and this growing uh, likeness. And we pray that you would help us now to understand that even more, uh, these critical concepts that can affect really every day of our lives. We pray that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I uh, already started uh, with this little drawing, the inside of that box on page 63 that our acceptance never changes, right? Uh, because of our union with Him, and uh, that we He He sees us in Him, uh, and everything that we do is in Him, so that we are never uh, separated from Christ. And I I said that, uh, and that that gets to that little box at the top, you know, with me and Christ surrounding me. Um, and I say we grow by trusting that we are accepted and loved in Christ at the top of 63. Um, and again, that's so critical because uh, we, we won't even be motivated to obey him from the heart. Uh, it'll be a performance basis. It'll be trying to get accepted by him. Uh, the only way that we can truly love is to respond to his love. Uh, I have that at the top of page 64, um, where that that third verse, the third quote there from 1 John, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And what he means by that is if we are fearing punishment, then we haven't yet grasped the meaning of the love of God in Christ. And when we lay hold of that and rest in that and know that our sins are taken away and know that we have favor with God, we can look to judgment itself without fear because we rest in His forgiveness. And it's that understanding of love that's the backdrop to this wonderful statement in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. Well, His first love to us must be this understanding of love that casts out our fear, you see. Because that's what he's talked about there. This is love, not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son. And then he goes on. That was earlier in the passage. And then later, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. We don't have a fear of punishment, not because we're good enough, but because we believe Jesus is good enough. Jesus has accomplished salvation for us. And so understanding that love is the root of our love for God and for others. And we want to constantly be nourished by that acceptance. Constantly nourished by understanding the favor that we have with God. And you see this so often in Scripture. uh, Like the first quote that I have up there from Colossians 3. It's woven in again and again in Scripture. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So our love and forbearance and forgiveness and kindness and goodness to one another is rooted in the love and forgiveness that we have in God. So we're always living out of that understanding of forgiveness. How else can I have a capacity when somebody really, truly wrongs me to love them with Christ's love if I'm not enjoying that love and resting in that love? And I know what it means to be forgiven when I have sinned grievously against God. It helps me when people sin grievously against me to forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. So that's why we would say the root of all your obedience is found in this forgiveness. The root of all obedience is is knowing uh, His love for you, resting in that love. And of course... When it says we love because he first loved us, love is the summary of everything we're supposed to do. You know, Jesus says the whole of the word of God, the whole Old Testament rests in these two things. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And here John says, how do we get to that love? How do we love God and love others? Because he first loved us. So nothing could be more important than yours and mine, nurturing our understanding of the accomplishment of Jesus Christ for us in his life, in his death, his resurrection, and how this has won for us salvation. That's the, yeah. And we also talked about how if, if we don't, uh, if we don't understand this forgiveness, we won't have the capacity to examine our own life. We, we won't, feel free to examine our own life. We won't feel free to admit our own sin to others and to ourselves. But in the safety of his forgiveness, you can have a new honesty about yourself. You can have a new realization of what you are in Christ. Uh, I mean, what, what your sin, your sin uh, has been and is. So. Um, then I, I say here, uh, we grow by believing we are made new in Christ. Uh, you know that we've been talking a lot about this in Romans 6, which is the passage at the bottom of the page. Um, but you'll see again and again, Paul uh, telling us what has happened to us in Christ. Uh, He doesn't just say, obey God, but he says, put on the new self that has been created, uh, Ephesians 4. Same thing with Colossians 3. That's saying, live out the new life that has been given you in Christ. 
And you can see Paul talking about it there in Galatians 2, the third passage. Um, I live now by faith in the Son of God. And it's really no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. His life is in me. It's not just me anymore <laughs> with my limited capacity uh, and my, my own sinfulness. It is the life of Christ in me. And I would couple that with the next verse uh, or passage, John 7, where speaking of the Spirit, John says, he says, whoever believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John says he's talking about the Spirit there. So, I must believe in the new self and the new creation that I have in Him. And on the one hand, he can say it's the Spirit, okay, that's at the root of my life, you know, my innermost being. And here are the rivers of living water, right? That's what he calls them, living water which would say this is a sign of the life that is springing up from within me, that the Spirit gives me. That's John 7. But then, there in Galatians 2, the way he puts it is, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, these aren't saying two different things. They're just describing the same thing two different ways. We could say it's no longer just me, but from my innermost being flow rivers of living water. The Spirit has taken hold of me. The Spirit lives in me and His life is in me. Or because that Spirit comes from Christ and is the result of Christ's work and the Spirit and Christ are so combined in their work, Paul can also say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So that's wonderful from two different perspectives. Uh, the, the springs of water through the Spirit with, from within me, or Christ lives in me. Or uh, the way he describes it in, there in Ephesians 4 and Colossians uh, 3 uh, is that uh, I have a new self. Or he describes it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creation. In another place, he'll describe it as resurrection. So all of these things trying to get at the complete newness that we have, what we are in Christ now. Okay, um, any questions or thoughts about that? Just realize all of these different descriptions are about the same thing, you know. Water springing up, Christ living in me, new self, new creation, resurrection. It's all talking about the new life that I have in him. And believing that gives you a whole new strength and courage to face your sin and to face your circumstances. To realize it's not just me anymore. It's Jesus Christ in me. It's his Holy Spirit in me. It's it's his life in me. Um, and that gives us courage to face uh, things that would otherwise uh, we've given up on in terms of our, our sinfulness. <clears throat> oh, on page 65, a very similar thing. Um, <clears throat> we grow by depending on the power and spirit of Christ. Um, we had begun to talk about this as well, but... 
this is just a continuation of the same thing to realize that the Spirit is uh, working in my life at all times. You have statements uh, like that in Philippians 2 under number 3. It's the third passage, verse 13. God works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. So it's the powerful God that is working in us. Above that, in Ephesians 3, the power that works within us. Um, and he, he wants us to understand that great power that works within us. <clears throat> so, um, as I say a little bit further down, this work of transformation is carried out hands-on in our lives by the Holy Spirit Himself. He actually indwells each of us, making our bodies a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's encouraging to think that the Holy Spirit is hands-on in your life. He's right in the middle of it. (laughs) As though He's on the ground, in the building, revamping this building, remodeling, reconstructing this building of myself. And think about that next quote. This mighty Spirit who created the world, because he, is, he was moving in creation as we read in Genesis. This mighty Spirit who created the world recreates us in the image of Christ. And that's 2 Corinthians 3 there. We're being transformed into the same image. What does it come, how does this happen? It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit transforms us. And then the next very well-known passage, every aspect of character development in our life comes from the Spirit. And there's that famous passage, the fruit of the Spirit is. Well, it means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These things aren't generated on our own. These are fruits of His work. And that's encouraging. That He is working in your life to bring these things about. And so every day as we throw ourselves into developing these things in our lives, we, we, we do so trusting in the great power and work of the Spirit. The next quote from Romans 8, he says, it's by the Spirit that we put sin to death. He says, if you're living according to the flesh, that is, if you're just living for yourself, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But I don't, I don't put away sin in my life by myself. I do it by the Spirit. Um, now, at the top of page 66, I say, often power and spirit are associated just like they are above in Romans fifteen thirteen. Notice it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. <clears throat> So, in the New Testament, power is not not just a force. It's really the active working of the Holy Spirit Himself. And it doesn't just mean a strength to resist temptation, though it includes that. One of the most important aspects of the Spirit's work is His enabling us to know and believe and experience the love of God itself. In fact, right above, He says, May God fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Spirit you may abound in hope. How do we abound in hope? How's our heart just filled with wonderful expectation and joy? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, below, Romans 5.5, 5, 
the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, we understand that love of God. It's brought home to our hearts. We sense it and taste it and live it out because the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting in Ephesians 3 when Paul says, as I underlined it, I pray that you'll be strengthened with power through His Spirit. And the final end is to know the love of Christ. So we tend to think, I need the strength of the Spirit to resist temptation. Paul prays that you'll be strengthened with the great power of the Spirit so that you'll understand the love of Jesus and know His love. So my grasp of the love of Christ, my, my laying hold of the love of God and having hope in my heart, that all comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so the, having His power in, enables me then to... Uh, Work strongly for uh, to grow in my life. Uh, as I say in that next paragraph, the responsibility for growth is on our shoulders because we're addressed and commanded to work out our growth. As on the opposite page, Philippians two twelve, when it says God is work in you, therefore work out your salvation, work out your growth, uh, accomplish that growth because God is powerfully working within you. So, since we have the full resources of God Himself actively working within our lives, we can truly grow into His image, no matter how difficult it is. Um, so, we're entirely dependent on Him, but because we know He's working in our lives, it gives us courage and motivation uh, to go after sin in our lives and to develop character in our lives. And that's why I say at the bottom, knowing He's powerfully working within us, we boldly move forward, challenging every single sin in our lives, fighting against each of them to the death, and carefully cultivating the very character of Christ. After all, the very power of the Almighty God is at work in our lives. I'm going to mention this some in preaching today, but um, we tend to say, Either I depend and wait on God in terms of my character or I get busy and, and get active because it's, it's up to me. Seems to be two different things. I'm either depending on God to change me or I'm not going to depend on Him. I've got to get busy and get it done myself. And I'm saying both of those are true. In fact, there's no reason to get active and to attack your sin except that God is working in you. So because we depend on Him, because we rest in Him, uh, and because we know He's working, then we give ourselves uh, to what He's working in our lives to bring about. It frees us up to, to throw ourselves into the battle against sin. Uh, On page 67, then number four, uh, I say we grow by patterning our lives after Christ. We grow by uh, following Christ Himself. 
And there are just several passages there that talk about living out, uh, in, either depending on Christ, following Him, uh, following His example. And I say below those quotes that our focus is not just on, on words in a book, but it's on the person of Jesus Christ Himself. And that's encouraging because we're really taking Him as our personal example. It's that He embodies everything that we're supposed to be in His love. And so it, it gives me a whole different focus than just a bunch of rules. No, it's Jesus Himself that is my example. And that's a glorious, noble calling for us to seek to be like Christ. And of course, it especially means that we will walk in love because Christ's new commandment is love one another as I have loved you. So he, he puts that before us and says, okay, you really can summarize everything. Look at how I love. Look at how I lay down my life and live out that love in your own life. And how encouraging, as we've already seen, and I quoted again at the top of 68, that the Holy Spirit is transforming us into His image. It's really happening. It's really what God's doing. We can really be more and more like Christ. As I've said before, I'm always amazed that it says we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You know, to use the word glory to describe my life right now, that's amazing. And that's, and that's what it's... That's what it's describing. Into His image from glory to glory. You know, more and more like Him. Uh, but, but it makes sense if you think of yourself as the temple of God, which it says we are, and that's where God showed forth His glory in the Old Testament. His, in fact, when He came and took up residence, so to speak, or manifested Himself in the temple, they couldn't even stay there because it was so glorious. And so... Naturally, when He takes up residence in our life and the Spirit makes us His temple, then we begin to take on the glory of Jesus Christ Himself. It's amazing, but very encouraging to, every day to think, Lord, give me grace to live out Your character, to be like You, to show forth Your love. It gives a marvelous focus for our life. And no matter what kind of suffering or difficult circumstance we're in, that never changes. If, if I'm losing everything, if, if I have some tragedy, whatever, still, Lord, give me grace, even now, to fulfill my calling to be like you and to show forth your love in this situation. And there's nothing that can stand in the way of that. No change ever, except that I want to be like Jesus. So it gives the most noble, glorious focus of our lives to be like Christ. And again the sure hope that the Spirit is making us into His image. How good is that? You know, it's not hopeless at all. It will happen. It is happening because the Spirit has taken hold of us to form us into Christ's image. And it's always encouraging to me as I quote, as I have the verse right there, Romans eight twenty nine says that He's predestined us that in the end we will finally be conformed to Christ. Full conformity in when we're raised from the dead or, or changed, if Jesus comes now, at the resurrection, all sin will be removed from us and we'll be made perfectly like Jesus 
soul, and body. Our humanity would be perfect like His humanity is perfect. So this thing is happening and it will be completed one day. And we will be conformed to Christ. That's the agenda that God has. And you and I can be confident in that. So these kinds of things uh, give, for, for me, they're very important in, in helping me not just to wake up and say, oh, i got to do the right thing today, but to wake up and say, I'm a new creation. The life of Christ is in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. I'm new. I'm, I'm, I've got a new self. I'm joined to Christ and His resurrection. And I have this glorious focus to, to be like Christ and the Spirit's making me into the image of Christ. That's a different thing than my just getting up and saying, oh, I hope I do the right thing today. I'm going to try to do the right thing today. Um, and, and all of it done in the context of I'm loved by God. I have His favor. Um, I don't have to earn that favor. And that, that becomes my motivation. Okay, on uh, page 68, too, this is certainly one of the most central things to our growth in Christ. We grow through the Word of Christ. We grow through the Word of Christ. I have that quote from Second Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And indicating that it comes straight from God's mouth, so to speak. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. As I say here, the word of God moves out in all directions in your life. It repairs and heals and renovates and transforms. It's like letting a work crew loose in an old home. And so I say, don't shut the door to its restoration and remodeling. Okay? If the Word does that for you, don't shut the door to it. Let that Word come into your life. Read it, meditate it, listen to it, uh, talk and, and read good books about it. You know, anything that we can do to help get more and more of that Word. Um, in that passage, it says that it equips us for every good work. And basically it means it makes us good. It equips us for being good to people. It transforms us into people who do good and love to do good. Um, And of course, no wonder, because it comes from the God who himself is good. So talk about getting close to something that purifies you and cleanses you. It's the word of God. And so Jesus prays, uh, in John 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And to sanctify means to purify or cleanse, to cleanse us. Uh, so the truth of God does a major cleanup in our lives. Um, you've done, you may have done this. I used to do it with my kids, goldfish uh, or other fish that they had, and they would leave it too long and then... You take that and it's got green stuff all in it. You can't even see the fish too well. And you take it and clean the bowl and the rocks you clean out, just the whole thing, the stones, and it's filled with fresh sparkling water. And you think, gosh, look at the difference in this and this. And you think, gosh, that's what the Word does to my life. You know, It gets inside of me and all the overgrown, messed up stuff that's in my life and it fills me with a whole different cleanliness. It changes me. So, and, and notice Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. 
God doesn't sanctify, He doesn't purify us apart from that Word. It's that Word that does that work in us. So we, we must expose ourselves to it. Notice uh, the next quote from Psalm 1, talking about the blessed man. His, de- his delight is in the law of the Lord. On His law He meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And you've, you've flown over kind of a dry area, and you see that ribbon of trees, and you know there's a river right there. You know there's a stream uh, because of the trees that have huddled around that stream. And that's what he says the word is like it's like you're a tree and you're planted by that stream and you you never have a problem for water because your roots are sunk into that stream it doesn't really matter if you get that much rainfall where you are because your roots are sunk into that stream Um, and apart from sinking our roots into his word we will be uh, dry and withered So the Word is water to your spiritual life. Every cell in your body needs water, and every fiber of your being needs the Word. So think of it in that way. I must constantly be drinking. It's interesting how often they say, you know, to have really good health, drink this many ounces of of water a day. And uh, if we could get that in our heads, you know, take in the Word. It is your water. You can't be healthy without it. At the top of page 69, it talks about being like newborn babies, longing for the milk of that Word. Uh, Psalm 119 talks about longing after His Word as well. Um, And... That's a thing to pray for. Lord, give me that kind of longing. Give me an ache for your word. Um, put me back together as a human being with your word. Notice script, uh, pa, uh, Peter up there says, Long for this milk that you may grow up to salvation. And salvation is being put together again as a human being. It's being daily saved from all the wrong that is still in me being delivered into His grace and strength. So it's the Word that God uses to affect His constant salvation in my life. His making me whole comes through that Word. So can't emphasize it enough um, to develop a relationship with God's Word. And if you haven't been actively reading His Word, uh, I suggest the New Testament to begin with, uh, even though... The story, you know, starts starts in Genesis. There's this point of the coming of Christ. And in the light of Christ, we look back into the Old Testament. And we interpret what has come up to this point through the lens of Jesus Christ. So I think it's important that we get a really good understanding of Christ uh, and it helps us even understand the Old Testament. Plus, in many ways, the New Testament's easier to get to. It's easier to understand in some ways. Um, it's more directly speaking about Christ. And then we can kind of take our understanding of Christ and realize that all of this leads up to Christ. And so we start looking for 
uh, things that the Old Testament could teach us about Christ. Um, and, you know, as a, as a beginning thing, you can read uh, any of Paul's letters or great space, places to start and uh, then intersperse that with, uh, if you want to read a full account, the Gospel of Luke is probably the best historical account. It's the one that gives you like the birth narratives and things like that, the fullest birth narratives of, of Jesus. Uh, John is another really important gospel. Uh, any of them, of course, would be fine. Um, Mark is more the action gospel. And uh, Matthew's more of a teaching gospel, more of Christ's teaching. This is, Mark emphasizes more of the action of Christ. Um, but, and then, of course, Acts is the, the, the history of the church. But anywhere uh, in there, to, to read some in the letters, to read the history of Acts, to read a gospel, to go back to the letters, to read another gospel, um, it's a great way to take in uh, the, the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. Um, we're about out of time. Let me just mention... Um, we grow, number six, through our mutual worship and fellowship. Uh, it's interesting when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, there in Colossians 3.16. If you're in Alabama, or really Texas too, in many places, you'd say y'all, right? Plural. <laughs> and really, this is a plural word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all. All of you richly. It, and then he talks about teaching and admonishing one another. So it's, uh, it's not, it, it means not only that I have my own personal life in his word, but God, uh, Paul doesn't picture the word dwelling in us as, as isolated individuals, each having this separate, unrelated, private relationship to the word. Uh, but he, he sees it dwelling in all of us together, shared amongst one another and in discussion and, and uh, teaching. Um, you see that in the next passage in Ephesians 4, as every single part of the body is supplying something to build the whole body up in love. Uh, Hebrews 3 talks about how important it is to exhort one another day after day, to be in relationship to the people of God so that we have accountability with each other. Um, top of page 70, Paul talks about wanting to impart a gift to strengthen the people in Rome. And then he says that we may mutually encourage each other. Here's Paul saying, I need your encouragement and I'll seek to be an encouragement to you. Or Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So in all these passages... You can't underestimate the need to be with the people of God, learning the Word of God together, worshiping with the people of God, ministering with the people of God, interacting with the people of God. And then with specific individuals in your life where you can really talk about your struggles with this person and, or, or a group of people. And you can encourage them and they can encourage you. That's the picture of the New Testament. So... We encourage you to be in relationship with the people of God and not be isolated. That's one of the most dangerous things. It's like a lion. If they can carve an antelope out of the herd, that's bad for the antelope. 
And that's what the enemy would always want to do for you. Is carve you out of the herd, get you isolated, no relationship with anybody. And, and that's where we tend to fall into hardness of heart and unbelief. Um, and then on page 70, I say we grow through our trials and difficulties. Romans 5 talks about this. James 1 talks about it. I love the way the psalmist puts it in the third uh, set of verses. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. In faithfulness you've afflicted me. So that even the hardest things in my life are instruments in His hands to grow me in His grace. And that's why that passage, like Romans eight twenty eight, that He works all together for good. The good that He's talking about is, in the context, conformity to Christ. Because that's what He says next. He works all things together for good because He's predestined us to be conformed to Christ. So, uh, the, the good that he does is to keep making you into uh, the image uh, of Christ. No matter what's happening to you, right in the midst of what's happening, God is giving himself to you uh, to make you into the image of Christ. Um, and then on the final page, uh, under this section, number seventy, page 71... Uh, we grow looking for the coming of Christ. Um, and you'll see in those verses how often uh, the look forward and the expectation of Christ's coming is talked about in the New Testament and becomes a, a, it gives us hope, it gives us strength, it gives us steadfastness, it gives us a, an added courage to uh, live for Christ because we have that great hope. Well, next week we'll start with uh, page 72, What is the Church? And that'll be our last time together. And uh, All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for all that you're doing to uh, make us into your image. We praise your name that it is all of your work and it will happen. And the work which you've begun in Christ Jesus, you will complete until the day of Christ. May we rest in that and have great hope in what you are doing in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.